Let me ask you a quick question. Who enjoys a good Christmas movie in December? Anybody? Don't be too spiritual for, for, for me now. Come on. I do. I know I do. Um, there's a lot of different Christmas movies. There's countless Christmas movies that are on display for us all over the, the media, all over our TV, all over Netflix and different streaming programs. How about this? I thought about there's no more video stores, no more blockbusters and whatnot, right? Oh, sad. Anybody remember blockbuster days? Come on. Of course. That's right. There's all types of, of Christmas movies. And then there's, there's, there's some people that love the Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. Shout out to them. They're all the same. <laughs> I'm just um, one of my one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies for Nina and I both that we watch every year is this movie called A Christmas Carol, A Christmas Carol. It's just become uh, a, a movie that um, we find to be funny and at the same time deep and and powerful. And as I as I've searched this movie and done a little bit of research on it, I realized that there's 48 different Christmas Carol movies now that you could watch that are based off. Of this story. The first ever version of A Christmas Carol actually came out in 1910. I was like, wow, that came out a long uh, time ago, written by Charles Dickens. This legendary classic movie um, has been around for a long time. After that came out in 1910, 1913 came out a new rendition of the movie called Old Scrooge, as the movie focuses in on this character named Scrooge, who's kind of the grumpy old man who doesn't like anybody. He always says, bah humbug. He's not feeling the Christmas spirit, and he's upset with everybody that does, right? And, and it's in this movie that while he gets ready to go to sleep, that the ghost of Christmas past takes him on this magical journey into his past where he's able to relive his past and see from this different lens. Maybe you've heard the phrase hindsight 2020, right? And he's seeing, wow, that's really how I acted back then? Or that's, that's who I was? That's who I hung out with? Those are the things that I did? That's where I was at this moment? Wow! That's my past. And right where he's at the moment of, of, of trying to understand and figure out his past, this new ghost creeps in and takes him into the present. And in the present, he's able to see what people think about him now, what people are talking about him now, how people are, are discerning his ways now, how people at the office feel about him. And then right at that moment when he's trying to get their attention, the ghost of Christmas future takes him into his future and sees what people would say about him at his funeral and sees if anybody would even care. And it's at that moment when he, he's broken and has this literal change of heart and he begins to feel the Christmas spirit again and he wakes up and he's a changed man. And I feel like there's a lot of symbolism there to the actual Christmas story that we see in the Bible. After 1913, there was another Christmas carol that came out in 1938. This was one of the most traditional ones, a classic, A Christmas Carol. From there, we see a, a whole 50 almost years later, we saw, it's, it's only right if Mickey gets in, right? Mickey had to do his Christmas carol just to, just to make sure it was official. And then the latest one we see is in 2009, um, starring, of course, Jim Carrey as Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. I want to talk about this Christmas carol over the next three weeks. 
And I don't want to talk about the movie Christmas Carol as I want to talk about the actual Christmas Carol that we see in Scripture. The Christ must carol. The true story, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how he affects our past and how the birth of Jesus affects our present right now and how the birth of Christ affects where we will be in our future. I'm excited to dig into these messages. I hope that you would be as well. The first one of, of these three, the first installment of this series, it, I want to talk about how, how Jesus transforms our past. As we talk about Christmas past, and how does the birth of Christ affect our past? Here's one of the things I know today. Whether you believe in Jesus, whether you believe in a different God, whether, you, whether, you, whether there's no God at all other than Christ, whether you believe in somebody or something else, everybody in here has a past. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of age, regardless of, of gender, regardless of, of race, regardless of beliefs, here's what we can all bank on. Each one of us, if we got to know each other a little bit, we all have a past. And in our past, there's, there's good, good things, there's... There's maybe some things we may be ashamed of. There's maybe some things that we're excited about. Maybe some things that we just keep closed in that door in our past. But we all have a past. And here's what I believe. Jesus is into transforming our past. Let me give you a quick definition for the word transform. The word transform by definition, according to the Oxford Pocket Dictionary, is to make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. I believe that Jesus is, is into taking our heart and transforming our heart regarding our past. Maybe when you think about your past, it gives you a discouragement. Or maybe when you think about your past, it, it, it brings this haunting spirit or feeling that you don't even want to entertain. Or maybe when you think about your past, you get super excited and then at that very moment of excitement, you get kind of super sad because you're no longer at that excited moment and you wish you were back there. Whatever that is, Jesus says, I, I, want, I want to step into earth. I want to step down from heaven into earth. And I want to transform the way you view and think about your past. To start off this morning, as we go ahead and enter into the Christmas narrative that's found specifically in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, as well as in Luke chapters 1, 2, and 3, we see the Christmas story on display in the Bible. I want to open up to Matthew chapter 1 this morning where we're going to read about some parts of the Christmas story that oftentimes get, that get left out. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that you're meeting with us here today. And now as we unfold and open up your word, God, we need to hear from you. God, we don't need to hear another message from a person we need to hear a message from God himself through a person. So Father, would you open our hearts and minds today. We don't put our confidence in ourselves, but our confidence is in Christ. Speak to us now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, now the author Matthew, is the first book in the New Testament, records for us 17 verses here before he gets to the birth of Christ. And I believe... We always just jump past the 17 verses, but I believe if it's in the Bible, it's worthy of mention. There's a reason why it's there. Let's go ahead and read a whole bunch of scripture this morning as we open up to Matthew 1, verse 1 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, we've got the cheat sheet for you on the screen. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. 
The text says that the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nishan. And Nishan, the father of, say that word with me, salmon. <laughs> That's awesome right there. You can laugh at that. His name was Salmon. He was a delicious young man. Uh, and Salmon was the father of Boaz. Salmon was like, we're not going to repeat that name. We're just going to name him Bo, Boaz. By Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. How many of you guys uh, have heard some messages on David before? I have. Uh, and David, he was also the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers. At the time of the deportation to Babylon, and after the deportation of, to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shelatiel, and Shelatiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Everybody join me in saying Zerubbabel. It's just a fun name to say. There's nothing spiritual about that point. It's just the name was Zerubbabel. I like it. Zerubbabel was the father of Abud, and Abud was the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim was the father of Azor, Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok was the father of Akim, and Akim was the father of Eliud, and Eliud was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar was the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, and that's where we get to our story today. Joseph was the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of the Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of the Babylon to the Messiah, Christ. 14 <laughs> generations. Now, why, why do we need to read those verses this morning? Well, first off, because I think one day you might encounter the genealogy in, in the Bible, and you may have this question. What's up with all the names? Why do we even care about this? Why, why is it even important? And as I've studied these scriptures, here's why I believe it's important, because Jesus cares about our past. Because Jesus cares about those who went before us. Because Jesus is into talking about what has happened previously, and he does that here, if I could give us the first point of the sermon day, it's simply this. Jesus redeems our past. Jesus redeems our past. And here's what I mean by Jesus redeems our past. He is starting a new thing. He's, he's giving birth to something new in your life. The genealogy is there to, to paint this picture for Walk Church and anybody online that's listening. The genealogy is there to tell us, all right, all that's happened, but now I'm doing a new thing. 
Like, I'm glad that you saw about David the king, and I'm glad that you learned about Zerubbabel, and I'm glad that you learned about Abraham, but I am doing a new thing. The ESV study Bible commentates on Matthew 1, 1 through 17, by saying the book of genealogy appears to function not only as a heading for the genealogy itself, but also as a title for the entire story to follow. A new beginning with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, and the kingdom of God. The, the genealogy is there to point to something. The genealogy is there to, to point our attention to something even greater. Here's, here's what I challenge you to do. If you look at all those names, all those men of God and women of God who went before Christ, and you can look at Matthew's account, and you could even look at Luke's account, and Luke's account is even more exhaustive than Matthew's account of genealogy. Uh, Matthew's account goes to Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Right? And, and, and you see these different people in the, the genealogy of Jesus. Here's my challenge to you. I, I, I challenge you, see if you can find one person that, that doesn't just have some major stains on their life. Or that, 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 that did well. Or that didn't blow it. Or that never sinned. Or that had a clean record before God. Even the greatest of the greats found in the genealogy all have some major stains on their lives. Which gives us good news here today, right? That we fit right in with the Bible. Because I believe in, in, in our church here today, including myself, we all have some stuff that maybe we've done that we're not proud of. And we see in the genealogy that being the case up until this moment where God is doing something new. Where God is saying, all right, all that has happened and nobody was able to get the job done quite like I had called them to. So I'm going to do something radical. I'm going to do something miraculous. I'm about to actually breathe from heaven and, and breathe my son into the world. Hallelujah. I'm about to send my own very son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a common name. Yahshua was a common name. It meant Yahweh saves. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually the Hebrew word Meshuach. Everybody say Meshuach. Spit on the person in front of you. Right? Meshuach, which translates to our English word Messiah. So you got Yahshua, the Messiah. God saves. Here's the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the savior of the world and he's coming. And that's why the angel speaks to Mary and he says, you're gonna name him Jesus. God is saving. Something new is about to happen. This has never happened before. If there would be a moment to walk on holy ground, it would be in these verses right here. God is doing a new thing. The genealogy before Christ is paving the way for something much, much better. And we can tap into that here today. All the people that are mentioned in the genealogy would all tell us today in heaven. They're not, they're not necessarily looking down upon us. They can't help us if we prayed to them. They can't intercede before us. But if we could tap into them, they would tell us this. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Our lives were to point to Jesus. Our lives were just a shadow of, of Christ who was to come. And here he is. Let's dig deep into these verses. Let's, let's jump into these verses in the Bible and focus in this Christmas on how God is moving in our lives. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, I love this prophetic verse of Christmas. 
Here's what Isaiah the prophet prophesied. He said, behold. What does that mean? Focus. I'm doing a new thing. Come on. Can anybody drop an amen on that? Amen. Don't you, sometimes don't you just need God to just say, I'm doing a new thing here. And you're like, thank you, because the old thing wasn't working. Like, I've been waiting for a new thing to happen. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it, wise men? Do you not perceive it, walk church? Do you not perceive that God is trying to get your attention? Do you not perceive that God is trying to tap on you and say, hey, I got, I got some good news for you. I'm trying to do a new thing in your life. Let me do it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isn't that a good word for Las Vegas too? We, our prayer team, before we, we kicked off the service today, we prayed for the city of Las Vegas. And we just, that, that's our prayer. Lord, Lord God, do a new thing in our city. We don't want to be defined by the city of sin anymore. We want to be defined by the city of him. It's his city, right? We live in his city. God is moving in our city in miraculous ways. And we're praying our VIP list is going to flood into the city. And God's going to move powerfully. And different churches and all types of different people are going to experience it. God is doing a new thing. We see that in the genealogy, pointing to him. Let me give you the, the second point that I want to talk about here today. Simply this, Jesus forgives our past. Not only does he redeem our past, come on, but he forgives our past. That's a way to transform somebody's past if you can forgive it. If you can just forgive their past, maybe, maybe that's a word for you this morning with a relationship. And, and God says, if you really want to trans, transform your relationship with that person, you need to forgive that person because that's what Jesus has done for us. Let's go ahead and tap into Matthew chapter 1. Uh, specifically at verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Read this verse off the screen with me. Ready? One, two, three. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What a good word. What a good word. Why, why do the Jewish people need to be saved from their sins? Why do the Gentile people need to be saved from their sins? Here's why. Because our sin has separated us from God. From, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is crystal clear that our sin has created a barrier between man and God. Think about Adam and Eve's story. When they sinned, what happened? God had to escort them kindly with two buff angels out of the Garden of Eden, and they were never able to enter again. Their sin separate. Like, here's the block. Like, I'm, I'm over here cool with God. We're hanging out. We choose to disobey him, and that creates a barrier between us and a holy, righteous, just God. Here's the barrier. And, and God would love to have this relationship with us, but because of our sin, we have this block. We need to be set free from our sin. We need to be saved. We need this to be removed. And the only way for this to be removed is for a perfect, spotless sacrifice to take our place. When God sends his son into the world, he is the only one qualified to take our place. He is the only one that's righteous. He's born from heaven. He is a savior. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is the ruler of all. And he steps into earth, and he has your name on his agenda. He says this, I've come to save you from your sins. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't believe you need to be saved. That would be where you need to start today. Your sin has created a barrier between you and God. So even if in your mind you think you and, you and God are cool, you're not if you haven't believed in Jesus.
That is the, the story of the Bible. I had a, a good friend of mine call me this past week. And he was doing some, some searching in, in his own heart. And he said, Hi, and I had a question. I'm, I'm reading the Bible and I'm trying to figure some stuff out. And I said, what you got? I'll try my best uh, to answer your question. And he said, why, you know, why, why does God, he said it like this. He said, why, why would God want to send people to hell? And, and I said, dude, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> like, that's the exact thing that God doesn't want to do. Like, why do you think Christmas exists? Why do you think God would send his son into the world to die the worst death a person could die, to be mocked and spit upon? That's him saying, I'm, I'm making a way. I'm doing a new thing here. I could just let you just walk right off the cliff. And God would be perfectly just to do such a thing. But God is saying, I want to make a way. And the only way for me to do that is to do something so dear to me, to send my only son to pay the price for your sin. God, God doesn't want to send anybody to hell, nor do I believe God sends people to hell. Now listen here, listen to this. We send ourselves to hell. If, if you choose to reject Jesus, isn't that your choice? God, hasn't God done his part? Has not God sent his son? Has Jesus not finished the race? As Christ is on the cross, does he not say, it is finished? In other words, now you got the ball. You can choose to believe and put your faith and trust in him and turn from your sins and experience the freedom that we have in Christ. Or you can say, I want to do it myself. I want to try my own luck. I want to I bet on me. Yeah, it's a bad bet, church. I like it, Pete. Come on. It's a bad bet. The title of my sermon this morning is Bad Bet. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't bet on me. I wouldn't bet on you either. But I would, I, I would put all my eggs in the Jesus basket. I would put, all, I would put them all in. If I, if, I, if I miss it, if I miss it, he, I, 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 I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the ride with Christ up to this point. But I don't believe, I don't believe we're missing anything. I believe we're, 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 we're gaining everything in Christ. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why, that's why he follows up with Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, will save his people from, from their sins. God is, God is doing a new thing here. We need to be saved from our sin. Our sin wants to steal from us. Our, our sin wants to kill us. Our sin wants to destroy us. Our sin wants to tangle us up in ropes, as the proverb says, so we can't break free. We need Jesus to come through and cut the ropes and save us but what he says is don't go back and tangle yourself up again like walk in the freedom trust me I'm, I got a better plan for your life says Christ I'm doing a new thing I'm doing a new thing let me give you a couple verses of scripture that um, that that point to this reality um, that that God forgives us from our sins because I think that sometimes we we ha we're tempted to define forgiveness by our own human standards and not by God's standards you know that God has a standard for forgiveness that sometimes looks different than, than our own. Let me show it to you. In Psalm chapter 103, verse 12, he says it like this. He has removed our sins. That's another word for forgiven. He's removed them as far from us as the east is from the west. Somebody say, that's really far. That's really far. It really is. You know how far that is? It, it can't be done. Like, 
if you, if you started going east, you'll never make it west. You'll just keep going east. They're going different directions. They don't, they don't cross. God has removed them in two completely different directions. It's going this way. God's taking your sin, and it's going this way. The scapegoat for your sins has left the building, and it's not coming back. Like, don't go chase after the, your sin and be like, wait, wait, wait. I wanted to kind of meet, like, in, like, the middle ground. Like, you don't got to go to that part east. Like, God has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Two completely different directions God is removing. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't how much sin you have in your life. Right. Those things don't matter. God has removed all of them through faith in Jesus. Through faith in Jesus. Let me give you the second way that how God treats our sin. Hear this, church. Hear this. It comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered, says the prophet, such anguish. In your love, in your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. Has God ever just, because he loved you so much, he just kept you from something? He just had his hand on you. You didn't, you didn't fully even have a relationship with him, but you look back now and you're like, man, God, God had his hand on me. That's because he loves you. That's right. Um, he kept you from the pit of destruction. He says, you have put all my sins behind your back. I love this illustration right here. That God has taken your sin and my sin, and you know what he's done with them? He's, he's put them behind his back. So, so take some, pick something up like, and put it behind your back. Try it right now. It's an it's activity in church. Try to put something behind your back. It could be anything. It could be a pen. It could be your phone. It could be your Bible, right? Put something behind your back, and now try to look at it. Now, I, I get if you're super flexible and ambidextrous, like, just, just help me here. But for me, I'm trying to look at something behind my back right now, and I'm having a hard time doing it. Here's what that means. God has put your sin. Listen to me. God has put your sin in a place where he doesn't look at it again. Wow. I don't know if you needed to hear that, but I did. Because I tend to look at it, and I tend to dwell on it, and I tend to listen to the lies and chirps of the enemy as if I need to do something more in order to remove that sin. And when I put my faith in Christ, it's Matthew one twenty one that tells us that he has, he has come to save us from our sins. And that word save means as far as the east is from the west, he has put it behind his back. There's another awesome verse in the book of Micah that says he's put our sins in the depths of the sea. And here's what I know that oceanographers don't even know how deep the sea can actually go. Like, they're still trying to figure out, does it go deeper than that? Like, we can't even go, we don't even have machines that can go that deep in certain parts of the ocean. And God's like, I know, because the sin's all down there, and we don't even need to look at it, right? Come on, that was, that was off the top. That was good. I like it. I'm going to use that again. Um, yeah, and that's why, because that's where it's at. And God's like, no, one's, no one needs to look at it, neither do you, and neither does, neither does God. Right? And I think it's a choice thing. Hear, hear me on this. Hear me on this. I think it's a choice thing, church. And I think this affects us, and maybe it'll affect you this Christmas. It's not that God forgets our sin, because he's omni-everything. God doesn't forget anything. Like, it's not that God forgot about your sin. It's that God in his perfection and in his holiness chooses to never remember your sin anymore. It's a choice thing. That God says, hey, it's not that I forgot, it's that I choose not to, to, to bring it up again. It's that I choose to leave it down there and to never look at it again. The east is to the west. I'm not focused on your sin. I'm not focused on it. 
And nor should we be focused on other people's sin that Jesus has set free or that he, who's not even a believer. It's not our job to focus on their sin. It's, it's, it's our job for us to love well, to love well. Let me give you a quick definition of love out of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Check this verse out really quick. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. Do we do that, though? Sometimes do we keep a record low-key? Do you sometimes just go ahead and have to pull the record out like, whoop, I got them all right here. Like, if you really push that button, I can pull out some records. I, maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning, church. I don't know. I, but, but, but love, genuine, biblical, Christ-like love does not keep a record of wrongs. Nor should we. Nor should we. The Bible says that every day God's mercies are brand new. I'm telling you, he's doing a new thing here. This is new. This is different. It is. It's radical. Christianity is different from every other world religion. Every single one is different. Because every other one keeps the record of wrongs. But God is saying this. Hey, in Christ, you got to believe in Christmas in order to get Corinthians He's not keeping a record of, of your sins in Christ because they're all paid for at the cross. Now, listen to me well. If you don't believe in Christ, if you don't have someone to pay for your sins, if you don't have someone to call you justified, if you don't have someone to call you holy and righteous, church, family, there is a record that you'll have to justify on your own and your good deeds will never outweigh your bad deeds. It won't happen. Again, it's a bad bet. But the reality is, is that those who put their faith in Christ, he's done it. He sent his son into the world. He did it. He did it. You can put your faith as a sure foundation, a sure, strong, dig your heels, plant your feet, and stand firm on this reality that faith in Christ is enough. You don't, have to add, you don't have to juice it up or add it up a little bit. You don't. You just have to just put your faith in Jesus and stand upon that rock. That's why the wise men are taking this journey for years. The wise men traveled for years just to see him because they understood this is the king of kings. He can save us from our sins. The genealogy that we just read, all those men and women of God, they were all waiting for someone to save them because they knew they couldn't save themselves. They, they were waiting. They were saying, God, when are you going to do it? Do you know the Old Testament and the New Testament? There is a, a break between the last book in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, and the, and the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. There's a 500 gap period where God was silent. And God breaks through the silence by sending his son. He's saying, I'm doing a new thing, and I want you to be in on it. I want you to be a part of it. You say, well, where did all the people go that, that passed away before Jesus came? Well, they had faith that he was going to come. So whether you believe previous or you look back and believe, which is what we're doing, we're just looking back and we're saying, yeah, we believe that. Or you're looking forward and you're saying, yeah, he's going to come and he's going to do that. That's faith in Christ. Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham, right? Abraham was justified by his faith that God would one day save. It's always been about faith. 
it had to require audacious faith for Mary to believe that this was true. It had to require incredible amounts of faith for Joseph to say, all right, I'm going to go through with it. <laughs> had to be incredible faith, right, for the shepherds and the angels and for the innkeeper to say, you can come into my inn. Have this baby. Had to be a lot of faith to listen to the angel when he said, all right, I need you to leave Bethlehem now and go to Egypt and raise your son there for a couple years. Wow. It's always been about faith. From, from, from the first per, parts of the Bible, it's going to require faith for some of you to get baptized today. And you can trust that God is going to meet you there and he's going to be with you every step of the way. It's always been about faith. Last week we talked about generosity and, and, and the idea, the biblical principle of, of being uh, uh, generous with your finances and even taking the step of saying, you know what, in 2018 I'm going to tithe. I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually going to say, you know what, 10% of my earnings I'm going to give to the house of God, to where I worship. You know what? That, that requires faith. But I've always seen God meet faith with action. God always meets my faith right there and he says, I, I'm, I got more for you and that just requires more faith and then we just have this awesome walk in Christ. Let me give you the last point um, before we finish up today. We got Jesus redeems our past, Jesus forgives our past, and Jesus frees us from our past. Jesus frees us, he frees us from our past. I love that reality right there. That Jesus says, I, I, you, can't be, you can't be a slave to your past. You need to be set free from your past. Let me give you an actual definition of the word past. Maybe you're not on the same page. Here's what the word past means. Gone by in time, no longer existing. Was that a revelation for somebody? That your past no longer exists? So you giving it more energy and, and, and you giving it more attention and you giving it focus that needs to be placed elsewhere is actually not helping. It's, all, it's, it's more so hurting. You, you don't need to give it more attention. It's actually gone by in time. It's actually already happened. And God is speaking to you this morning at Walk Church. On December 10th, 2017, he's speaking to you and he's saying, today I want to do a new thing in your life. Hear him speak that. Maybe you need to write that on a note card. Today, God started a new thing in me. That's what he wants to say to you today. He wants to free us from our past. Rick Warren, a pastor out of Southern California, he says it like this, a, a beautiful quote on the subject that we're talking about here. He says, the devil doesn't want you to be free. He doesn't. So he'll whisper old lies to you. He will try to discourage you and, and accuse you. He will bring up your past to haunt you and harass you. And he says this, what lies do you still believe? What is keeping you from walking in the freedom and joy of the Lord? Start declaring the truth of God's word. What word? How about Matthew 121? Nope, Jesus has come to set me free, to save me from my sins. Start declaring the truth of God's word and then act on that truth and that will truly make a new you. I'll tell you what, sometimes you just got to speak back to your heart. Sometimes you just got to preach to your heart. David said in, in, in the Psalms, he said, I, sometimes I just need to encourage myself. I need to just start speaking encouragement to myself. I need to, I need to speak to my heart. Heart, wake up. Heart, stop thinking about that. Heart, stop going there. Heart, focus. Heart, you're forgiven. Heart, Jesus paid it all. Heart, Stop looking back on sins that Jesus doesn't look at. Heart, God's doing a new thing. Heart, 
I'm li- speaking. Listen, focus up, heart. Sometimes you need to preach that to your heart. Stop dwelling on the past. The past has went away. It no longer exists. And in, in doing that, we experience freedom. We experience forgiveness. We experience redemption. And before we close, I just want to offer this out to you today. If you're holding on to a, a, a grudge, or you're holding on to somebody's sin from your past, and maybe, maybe they never took the correct steps to make that relationship right with you. Maybe you did everything you could do, but they never cared enough to apologize, or they never asked you for forgiveness. I, I, I just want to encourage you through the Christmas story, look at how Jesus responds to us, right? Like us sinful people are, are, are doing a whole bunch of craziness and God says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to initiate. I'm going to come down from heaven to set people free and save them from their sins. Let me give you one more quote from an author, David Willis. He says it like this. He says, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. Come on, it sets you free. It sets you free. It sets you free. I'm going to clap with whoever's clapping with me. I'm going to clap with you. Because I needed to learn this principle in my life. That the more I dwelled upon past sin in my own life or in somebody else's, I became bitter. But the more I tapped into this forgiveness reality, and the more I just released things, and not only release things, I would bless things. The more free I began to feel in my own spirit. And that's what I want to see happen in our church today. I know for Christmas time, for some of you, um, this could be a difficult season. Where you're missing a loved one who's no longer here. Or you're walking through a difficult time in a relationship. My encouragement to you today is that Jesus is doing a new thing. So you don't have to focus on your past. When the devil tries to bring up your past, remind the devil of his future. Amen? Right? I don't know. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll catch that in the car. Um, when the devil tries to bring up your past, remind the devil of his future. As Greg Laurie says, right? Don't, don't dwell on that. You're on the winning team. Maybe you just need to go buy a Jesus wind shirt and let that preach to you all day. As you're walking around, nope, nope, I'm still winning. I'm still winning. And we do got the kid sizes as well. A little plug right there. We do got that. Um, I want us to close right now. Uh, G- Jesus is really doing a new thing. He's forgiving us of our sins. And he's, he's making us new. Let's pray.